Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 16 this morning. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. I'll give you a, a second to get there. Well, many of you uh, may recall learning in high school uh, or college about the time period known as the Enlightenment. Uh, it was a period in the 18th century primarily focused on reason and philosophy and uh, moving, as they said, out of the dark ages of religion. Uh, while many things, many great things came from this time period, uh, it was a movement that kind of looked upon Christianity with derision. Uh, according to them, Christianity was unenlightened and backwards. It was inhibiting progress and liberty and reason. Uh, in the minds of many of its most vocal proponents. Uh, in many senses, uh, this period known as the Enlightenment was the beginning of the attack on the authority of the Bible in favor of human thought. Um, while, uh, again, uh, there have been several intellectual movements since the time of the Enlightenment, like postmodernism, uh, it's hard to deny that much of the Enlightenment is alive and well and still lives on in our culture today. Christianity is seen as non-intellectual or non-enlightened, uh, that Christianity is just a relic from the Dark Ages. That's what the world overwhelmingly thinks of us. But again, as last week, I want to ask the question, what does your God think of you? If that's what the world thinks of you, what does your God think of you? In today's text, Jesus is going to teach a different narrative altogether. So let's dive into the text, Matthew 5, and I'm going to go ahead and read verse 13 with it. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, we heard Jesus teach that Christians are the salt of the earth, and we learned that that meant that God's people are a preservative, uh, that they add flavor to things, and they create thirst for Jesus, the living water. Uh, we learned that in order for salt to actually be effective, it had to be out of the salt shaker. Um, it had to have contact with the world, to be in the world, but not of the world. This week, Jesus says something very similar, but with a different analogy. He says, you are the salt of the earth first, now you are the light of the world. Uh, our three main points this morning are these. Number one, you are the light. Jesus is the light. Point two, don't hide. And three, works in glory. So number one, you are the light and Jesus is the light. Very similar to last week, in this analogy, Jesus says something about Christians and uh, contrastingly, something about the world. 
with salt, if you'll remember, Jesus is saying uh, where spiritual, spiritual things are concerned, uh, the world is rotting and needs salt. Well, well similarly here, uh, Jesus is saying uh, with, where spiritual things are concerned, the world is actually in darkness. And the sad truth is the world actually prefers darkness. Where do I get that from? Well, in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says this, John 3, 19 through 21, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people have loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the world around us is spiritually and morally blind in utter darkness according to Jesus. You know that this is true if you're paying attention at all to current events. I could list several specific issues that are going on around us, but one glaring example right now is the topic of abortion. Uh, you and I know that from the moment of conception, that is a human. That's a child created in God's image and worthy of dignity, value, love, and care. But the world is blind to this. They either can't see it or won't see it. In the name of progress and liberty, they're left completely in the dark. And yet, consider themselves to have an enlightened position. And that's the problem, isn't it? You've got blind people who either prefer being blind or don't know that they're blind. I'm going to move on, but, but think about this. If human beings became so enlightened in the 1700s, shouldn't there be less brokenness in our world by now? Yes, we have, as we said earlier, let's just admit, we've had several, so many great technological advances, and we've learned so much about our universe, but this so-called enlightenment has left us more broken and not less. It's left the world darker and not lighter. And into that void, Jesus says, you, Christian, are the light of the world. The way that this verse and verse 13 are written is really fascinating. Uh, in both places, Jesus uses two words for you back to back. Uh, in the Greek language, this is called the emphatic, and it's used to make a point. So it's meant to emphasize this idea that you and you only, that's what Jesus is saying. Christian, you and you only are the light of the world. Just consider that for a second. What Jesus is saying is this. If you're a Christian, if you've been born again, if you've turned from sin and trusted in Jesus as your only hope of salvation, you are the light of the world. Jesus calls his disciples the light of the world. Think about this. He calls them that, not after educating them for years and years and years, but right at the beginning of his gospel. Why? Because it wasn't about what they knew as much as who they were. 
Not just exceptional Christians, not just pastors, you, ordinary Christian, you are the light of the world. With regard to spiritual matters, you know and understand more about life than the greatest expert or philosopher in the world who's not a Christian. Think about that. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 1, 20 through 21. He said, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now, before we we get too far ahead of ourselves, we've got to stop and actually acknowledge something. I've been speaking so far about the darkness of the world and Christians being light. That can come off as prideful or arrogant even. And so I want to be clear here. What I'm not saying is that that Christians are just smarter than everyone else who really doesn't get it. That's not at, at all what I'm saying. The only reason we're able to be the light is Christ. And the only reason we're we're in Christ is grace. I'll say that again. The only reason we're able to be the light is Christ. And the only reason we're in Christ is grace. Our salvation is completely undeserved and unmerited. We haven't done anything to warrant Jesus bringing us out of death and into life. Without Jesus opening our eyes, Every single one of us would be blind and left in the darkness. But he says, you are the light of the world. Some of you might be thinking at this point, well, isn't isn't Jesus the light of the world and not us? Let's look at what John says about Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This is a longer section, but it's important that we read the whole thing. John 1 Verses 1 through 14 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, speaking of Jesus, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, speaking of John, but it came to, he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's John chapter 1, 1 through 14, talking about Jesus as the true life. Uh, All the way back in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, this true light that's revealed here in John 1, 
was spoken about. Isaiah 42, 6 says this, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Again, Isaiah 49, verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. This is the prophet speaking about Jesus. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. A light for the nations that my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. That's all the way back in Isaiah chapter 49. Jesus was and is that light, the true light for the nations. He made that absolutely clear in John 8, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking of himself here. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what's Jesus saying here in our passage today when he says, you, Christian, are the light of the world? Well, I believe he's saying at least two things. First, uh, we as Christians are a reflection of the light of Christ. Uh, You may have heard this illustration before, but I think it's helpful and actually applicable. Uh, Think about the moon. When the sun goes down and the moon rises up in the sky, it shines, right? It's not shining by its own light. The moon shines by reflecting the light of the sun. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and then turns around and says, you, Christian, are the light of the world. You, as a Christian, are meant to reflect Jesus' light. Sometimes the the church is a full moon, shining brightly and reflecting Jesus well. Other times, unfortunately, we can kind of function like a new moon that's barely seen. But Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You reflect Christ. And in another sense, so so that's one sense that Jesus is talking about you being the light. In another sense, though, we don't just reflect Jesus' character. We're actually made light. Check this out. Look what Paul says. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. Paul says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light." Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So in one sense, we're reflecting Christ, but in another sense, through our mystical union with Christ, being in Christ, we actually become transmitters of his light. Yes, we receive light in the knowledge of Christ that we're given, but we also radiate that light as Christians. In all of life, we shine the light of Christ. In John chapter 14 through 16, I encourage you to go look that up and just read all of those chapters later today. John 14 through 16, we're told that each and every Christian is given the Holy Spirit to live within them. Think about that for a second. 
God, the Father of lights, is that light that that lives within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus can both say, I am the light of the world, and you, Christian, are the light of the world. One is actually derived from the other. So we've been talking now for a little while about being light. But what exactly does that mean? Well, in one sense, like we said before, it's about reflecting Jesus' character. It's about us declaring the praises and proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2.9 that we read earlier. It's about manifesting God, who is light. But in another sense, it's about exposing darkness with the truth of God's word. Again, Ephesians 5.13 that we just read, Paul says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So part of being light is living in such a way and speaking in such a way that darkness is exposed. A Christian life should be a contrast to that of the world, kind of like a flashlight in a dark room. That's exactly what Jesus' life was here on earth. And just to be honest, the reality is people really didn't like it too much. Well, why? Why didn't they like it? Well, because his life exposed their sin, their hypocrisy, their spiritual blindness even. And if you read much of the Bible, I can say this from experience, if you read much of the Bible, his life's going to do the exact same thing to you. It's so easy to think we're doing pretty well when we compare ourselves, we compare our lights to other human lights. But the difference between our light and Jesus' light It is the difference between a flashlight and the sun. It's impossible to truly encounter Jesus and feel like your righteousness is really something, unless you're completely spiritually blind. So understand this. If you live as Christ lived, your life will shine light on darkness. You'll illuminate dishonesty in business practices. You'll expose gossip. You'll expose selfishness, greed, racism, immorality, and corruption. Your light of holy living and truth spoken in love will expose these things and more for what they are. For those of the world, you're not going to be popular for this. But you were made for this. You are the light of the world. And I I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says here. He notes that that before we're light, we have to be salt. In that order. Salt is kind of how we we said last week, we live inconspicuously in the world. Kind of a general effect that we have on people. And light is how you speak. The specific effect. So listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, I should always have this general effect on men before I have this specific effect. Wherever I may find myself immediately, that something different about me should have its effect, and that in turn ought to lead men and women to look at me and to say, there is something unusual about that man. Then, as they watch my conduct and behavior, they begin to ask me questions. Here, the element of light comes out. I am able to speak and to teach them. Far too often, we Christians tend to reverse the order. 
We have spoken in a very enlightened manner. We have not always lived as the salt of the earth. Whether we like it or not, our lives should always be the first thing to speak. And if our lips speak more than our lives, it will avail very little. So often the tragedy has been that people proclaim the gospel in words, but their whole life and demeanor has been a denial of it. Salt and light balance each other. Salt is hidden and works from the inside. Light, on the other hand, shines on the outside. It's visible. Being light means living as salt first, and then speaking as light, illuminating and exposing darkness. On the other hand, for those who are in Christ, your light also has another effect. Your light will also help people's faith to grow. Just like light helps plants to grow. As you live a life that shines Christ, you're actually going to help others. In your home, as you shine Christ, you'll help your children to grow spiritually. In your friendships, as you radiate Christ, you'll help other Christians grow. You are the light of the world. And quickly, before moving on to our next point, I want you to see clearly the scope of what Jesus says, what he's talking about. He says, you are the light of the world. Think about this. Our calling is to be light for the world. Yes, to our families. Yes, to our cities. But also to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's Christ's calling for his disciples. Matthew 28.19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the scope of our call. The world. Whether you're praying or giving or going, all of us have a role to play in the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth. We, we got to hear about a family a couple weeks ago that, that shipped off to go work for, for Missionary Aviation Fellowship. An amazing family that, that's going to the ends of the earth. And in a couple weeks, you're going to hear from, from me about a, a friend of mine named Blaine who's going to plant a church in Kuwait. He's going we got to find out a way that we can help him do that. Someday, God might call you to go somewhere. Praise God for that. Constantly be praying about, about what God might be calling you to do. That's the scope of our call, the world. So Jesus is the light, and you are the light. Point two, don't hide. Look with me again at verses 14 and 15. So after saying, you are the light of the world, he says this, he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In Israel, many, if not most of the cities are actually on hills, and not in the valleys for the most part. And Jesus, the people he was speaking to, knew this. At night, uh, if you were walking around in the valley, you'd be able to look up and see each city that's up on a hill actually just lit up. You'd know exactly where that city was. There'd be no confusion at all. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you're a Christian and you're light, you can't be hidden. 
And I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says this. He says, the Bible is not the light of the world. It's the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. The world is a dark place. And God's plan is you and me. Not a talented evangelist, not a famous preacher, not writing in the sky, not a politician. You. They'll never live in your neighborhood. They'll never work at your job. You live in your neighborhood. You work at your job. Don't hide. Christian, like a city on a hill, can your neighbors look up and know where to find you? Do they even know you're a Christian? Jesus makes no caveat here for this category of secret Christians. Christians are to be displayed. God's goal first is to light you, and second, to put you where others can see you. And know this, because of the miracle that Jesus has done in you, you're worth being seen. You are an adopted child of God, made in his image, redeemed, brought out of death and into life. Live like a city on a hill or a lamp on a stand. And just to be clear, this isn't just for the purpose of drawing attention to ourselves. There's a glorious purpose behind this. And that brings us to our final point, point three, works and glory. Look with me at verse 16. Jesus finishes by saying, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see that? The point here is not to bring glory to ourselves. We are the way we are, and we live the way that we live as Christians, not to earn God's favor or to score points for ourselves but instead to give glory to our Father who is in heaven. The reason you're made salty and the reason that you're made light is to glorify God. Understand this. You're not responsible for lighting your light. God does that miraculously through the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Makes you born again. He lights you. Your responsibility to let it shine before others. God is sovereign, he's loving, he's merciful, he's just, he's faithful, he's worthy of all praise, he's good, he's trustworthy, he's holy. So don't let the basket of acceptance or or reputation or fear or any other basket cover over that light. When you hide your light, you're hiding God himself. You're preventing others from seeing the beauty of God in you. Let it shine. Glorify your Father. That's why you exist here on earth as a Christian. I think about Moses in the Old Testament. He went up the mountain and he spoke with God. And what would happen is he would come down and his face would radiate God's glory. So much so that he'd have to put a veil over his face. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, picks up this story of Moses to teach about this. When Christians spend time with Jesus, that others should see him reflected by us. And look at how Paul concludes this. 
2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6, he says, for, we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christians, let there be light. We're meant to reflect God's character, so that not so that we might get glory, but so that God might get glory. In closing, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we want you to know, first and foremost, that we're glad you're here. He loves you so much that he didn't keep himself hidden from you. He revealed himself in his word, the Bible. Even more than that, he loves you so much that he sent his own son, Jesus, here to this earth. Well, why did he do that? Well, because we as humans, as you've heard, are spiritually blind. Scripture actually says worse than that. Scripture teaches that we're not just blind, but we're dead spiritually. Because every single one of us has sinned and rebelled against the God of the universe, we deserve God's full and just wrath. But God, because he's so good and merciful and loving, sent his own son, Jesus, into the world. He lived a perfect life. He was light and life in every single way that none of us is capable on our own. He was sinless. Then he went to the cross and died the death that each of us deserves for our sin. And the Bible teaches us that if we will turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, that we'll be saved. His death counts in our place. His life counts in our place. He takes God's full and just wrath, and we are declared righteous. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, but you want this light and this life, if you want to be made right with God, you can be this very moment. Admit to God that you're a sinner and that you know that your only hope is Jesus. Trust in Jesus completely. Confess him as the Lord of your life. We invite you into this marvelous light that we've been speaking of. In Christ, you'll experience more grace and mercy and love than you ever could have thought possible. Let there be light. Let's pray.